So, Pete, do you want to tell what movie we're going to talk about next podcast? Well, I at first thought that this meant something else, but it does appear that we are going to be doing the movie Space Jam, which I, I don't effing believe it. Could I get my assistant in here, please? Um, what can I do for you, Mr. George, please. Please, it's just George. Uh, as you wish, uh, Mr. George. Whatever. Look, I need some comfort right now. Bring me a glass of uh, warm blue milk. No, wait, I, I need something stronger. Uh, give me a pint of Corellian ale. Um, I'm sorry, I, I don't think either of those things actually exist outside of Star Wars, Mr. George. Uh, I guess you're right. You know, it occurs to me that something might be bothering you, sir. What seems to be the trouble? Oh, it's... it's just, uh... So Pete and Mike are always teasing me with the prospect of reviewing Star Wars on the Sacred Cows podcast. The old Star Wars? Your Star Wars? Uh, y yes, uh, thank you. My Star Wars. But then they always turn around and review something else, like this next episode, you know? What they're reviewing instead? Space Jam. Space <sighs> Jam. Oh, oh, yeah, that old thing. Space Jam, can you believe it? They picked something else with space in the title just to get at me. I mean, come on. Space is my jam, damn it. Uh, well, it sounds like it wasn't a savvy pick on their part, Mr. George. Hell no, it wasn't. Can you believe they would just kowtow to the fan base like that? I mean... Is there any question that Star Wars is more sacred than Space Jam of all movies? I mean, that movie is just a mix of NBA superstars with no acting chops and a bunch of animated kitty cartoons cracking lukewarm jokes that fall flatter than Wayne Knight on the basketball court. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll admit that movie didn't exactly turn out the way I expected. I mean, Daffy Duck kisses his own ass in that movie. Does it get right. more ludicrous I, than that? I don't think so. You know, the movie, it, it really didn't follow my vision. You have to understand, I had something completely different in mind for it. Wait, 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 what? What, what are you talking about? Oh, well, <laughs> you see, I kind of invented Space Jam. Uh, you're, you're serious? This isn't some kind of uh, Al Gore thing, you know? Space Jam really was your idea? Well, it was, yes. You're gonna have to tell me the story of how this happened. You, a lowly Hollywood assistant, pitching a movie at, that is at the same time so bad and yet so profitable? Well, okay, it, it all starts a long, long time ago. On second thought, In a I don't give a crap. Uh, frankly, son, the very sight of you makes me sicker than Gunark right now. You're fired. No. What's more, I'm going to do everything in my power to see that you never work in this business again. Oh, yeah? Well, strike me down and I shall become more powerful than you can possibly... I doubt it. Now beat it and get me that Karelian ale on your way out. In a world where the human race has nearly unlimited access to all forms of media... Mankind faces its greatest enemy. I've come for vengeance. A looming threat. Can you look at that? What is that? A paralyzing choice. You have eight choices. Choose incorrectly, and I cannot be held responsible for your suffering. Is the next movie in my queue good? Or bad. Hey, do you guys want to watch Geely? A war that threatens our very existence. We have come to take over your world. And it will be fought over. Cows. Uh, one podcast dares to make sense of it all. So you don't have to. This is the Sacred Cows Podcast. And now... Uh, <clears throat> and now...
Please welcome. <coughs> and now. Hey, disembodied voice guy, are you all right? Uh... I think disembodied voice guy lost his voice. No way, that can happen? Uh, it looks like it, I guess. Wow. So, like, if a disembodied voice loses his voice, does that mean he's gone? I don't know. I mean, can't see him, so if we can't hear him either, it's impossible to... Oh, hey, wait a minute. It sounds like he's found something to write with. So, disembodied voice guy is still here. What the hell is this? Ghostwriter? Never saw it. Really? Oh, it's great. Yeah, right. I'll bet it's really 90s. Now that I'm thinking about it, how do we really know that this is disembodied voice guy writing a message to us? It could be anyone, you know? Anything from beyond. Well, why don't we see what he wrote? Or it wrote. Maybe that'll give us a hint. Oh yeah, that's disembodied voice guy. God damn, that guy is evil. Welcome to the Sacred Cows Podcast, the podcast where we review movies that are probably held fondly, maybe, in your memory, and uh, determine whether or not they're still any good. That's right, that's why we're here, it's what we do. So today we're going to be talking about the 1996 Michael Jordan Bugs Bunny movie called... Space Jam. It's interesting that we're doing this movie, isn't it, Mike? It's one that we weren't expecting to do, and it kind of came to us through Twitter. This is a clear-cut case of giving the fans a voice because we... I mean, I haven't thought about this movie in forever. I don't know if it ever would have come up if our some of our fans hadn't brought it to our attention and then very nicely asked us to do it. So here, here it is in front of you now for that very reason. Yes, and this just goes to show that... Uh, while on this movie we wanted to jump right away because we just wanted to get into something that was different than we've done in the past. I mean, we've never done a kid's movie before. Well, say what you will about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but... But this is more targeted towards kids. Whether or not we think that at the end of the movie, or end of the review, I should say, we'll find out. You know, we haven't done anything, like, animated, strictly. Right. This is this is pretty clearly targeted as a family-friendly uh moviegoers fair i think yeah more more so than ninja turtles which um well was just different than other movies at the time that's right it was you know live action it was an action movie so you know probably more boy centric but this i think movie was designed to have a broader appeal definitely people of all ages and uh genders creeds etc uh and uh whether or not you actually were a sports fan or not it, it was kind of like uh an oorah for kookiness that's true yeah it, it didn't really matter that it uh you know starred some of the biggest names in pro basketball in the 1990s it was still uh you know it was just a fun cartoon for everybody <laughs> I think maybe first we can talk about some of the uh, the off-screen madness of this film. Uh, like we said, this was a 1996 film. It's partially live-action, partially animated. So that means it's 19 years old, and it's a little surprising. Uh, this movie was released theatrically, and it opened at number one. Ended up grossing $230 million, which makes it the highest-grossing basketball film of all time, if you can believe that. Even higher than, like, Hoosiers and, uh, you know, serious basketball movies. Thank you for helping me think of another basketball movie. Now that I was thinking about it, I was like, are there any other basketball movies? Yeah, I guess there are. This movie, as I already mentioned, featured some of the biggest names in basketball of the 1990s. I mean, Michael Jordan is the star. Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing, Muggsy Bogues, Larry Bird. These are all some of the basketball players that I recognized with my very limited uh, knowledge of basketball. However, you know, the mid-90s was probably like the uh, the height of my NBA fever, I guess you could say, especially with Michael Jordan doing what he was doing. Well, I think it was kind of the height of NBA fever in general. I mean, Michael Jordan was just so far considered above everybody else. He was what Babe Ruth was to baseball. He was to basketball. And all these other people, Absolutely. Charles Barkley, um, uh, Muggsy Bogue, uh, Larry Bird, you know, 
they're, they're considered some of the greats ever, and they were playing at the same time. And, and so, you know, it was like the greatest time to be a basketball fan. And, and Michael Jordan, like you said, he was just so good. He wasn't just a basketball star. He was just a uh, like an all-around megastar. I mean, you saw the guy absolutely everywhere. He was advertising everything he was doing. He was not only a basketball player, but he was a baseball player and a, and a golfer also. So, you know, he, he just kind of, I don't know if there's such a thing as a sports renaissance man. It was kind of him. He was one of the very first... Um professional sports athletes to be like doing uh, endorsements for shoes endorsements for cereal wheaties uh in candy bars i, I think he did snickers you know um underwear <laughs> to which he still does hanes right. underwear food clothes everything yeah exactly right yeah he, he just the, everybody wanted a piece of him he was so big and he was making tens of millions of dollars a year just on advertisements and things like this, I guess, this movie spot in Space Jam and where he plays the starring role. Well, I think it helped that when he was talking like after games and things like that, that um, he was electrifying, you know, when he talked about the game, when he talked about his passion. He really loved uh, sports. He loved uh, people, you know. Listening to him talk about these things that he loved so much, he uh, he inspired you to, to love them as well, certainly. Now, the other side of this coin, a uh, large part of the cast of this movie is made up of all of the Looney Tunes characters that we knew and love as kids. Uh, and I think this was a very big time for Looney Tunes because I seem to remember in the mid-'90s everybody was wearing them like as a fashion statement it seems like there was Tweety Bird and and Bugs Bunny and Tasmanian Devil all over everything you know whether they were in uh cutesy little poses or like the thug life poses that for it I, I can't even explain that whole trend but that was very big thing uh do you happen to remember that Mike yeah yeah <laughs> I remember my mom had like a tas a, a Tasmanian Devil shirt a Tweety shirt and stuff they were definitely going for that nostalgia of the baby boomer generation, I think. Yeah, right. This was a this was a big motif, and you know, uh, any savvy marketer is going to try and bring something that used to be wildly popular, uh, you know, back around and make it cool again. Which I think uh, I think Looney Tunes had some measure of success with. Oh yeah, and you know, they also started introducing um, you know more Looney Tunes cartoons uh, around this time, uh, before or after. There was, like, the Tasmanian Devil TV show just called Tasmania. There was uh, Tiny Toon Adventures on at the time, which basically paid homage to the like, original Looney Tunes by it was, having... It was Looney Tunes the next generation, basically. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, this movie, uh, you know, rounded out the cast with some of the familiar voice actors we've seen in some of the other animated things we've done. It's, uh, Billy West, uh, D. Badley... D. Bradley Baker, Maurice LaMarge, Frank Welker, Danny DeVito. Okay, so that's not one that we usually see as a, a voice actor, but the rest of them are pretty, you know, standard and, geez, it feels like almost anything. It's worth noting that uh, the person who would have played the voices of many of the legendary Looney Tunes characters, uh, Mel Blanc, who was the legendary Looney Tunes voice actor, died in 1989, unfortunately, so... He was not present for that. It's worth noting a couple of other things. I mean, we already talked about, you know, some of the animated stars. Um, uh, this movie actually has a, a pretty, pretty interesting pedigree. It is, of course, an Ivan Reitman-produced film, which, uh, you know, uh, 80s and 90s uh, Ivan Reitman's producing, directing, doing wonderful things. Yes, he's very prolific. He's done a number of comedies that I would say are probably up for consideration for Sacred Cows at, at some point. You've also got quite a cast of humans outside of the uh, sports stars. We've got uh, Wayne Knight playing a character at the height of his Newman fame. You've also got uh, Bill Murray as himself being Bill as Murray himself. in this movie. I swear this movie has the biggest as himself cast of any movie I've ever seen. I, I, I think Wayne Knight might be one of the few <laughs> the few human characters in this movie that isn't as himself. So uh, Michael Jordan's family is not playing themselves. It's several uh, kid actors and, and his wife. I don't remember who's playing her. Teresa Randall 
modeled after Michael Jordan's current wife, uh, Juanita Jordan. So there you go. I don't know how many of the kids are fictional or what, but uh, he's got a largish family, I guess. So, and then there's also, you know, can't talk about Space Jam uh, without talking about the soundtrack. That's right. Can you believe this thing? <laughs> this soundtrack went platinum six times, and I was like, what? When you look at it, like, I recognize all the songs were on the radio all the time. Well, especially the uh, R. Kelly hit, I Believe I Can Fly, which, as it turns out, I believe was written for this movie, mm-hmm. uh, which, which uh, surprises me uh, to no end. But that one earned him three Grammys, and yes, it, it receives regular radio play to this day. It's a, it's a good song. I do remember that song being featured in a certain format for the Five Cent Sunday MCI commercials uh, at right around this time when it had all the Looney Tune characters. Which I think Michael Jordan did some of those with uh, Bugs Bunny and Co. Right, right. They knew a uh, cash cow when they saw one, so like everybody wanted this this team up of Michael Jordan and the Looney Tunes to hawk their stuff, basically. Of course, it had Space Jam, the title theme by the Quad City GJs. Which, uh, yeah, it's, it's for better or worse, uh, a song you can dance gonna to. Gonna jam you right in your face, I believe. Yeah, is is the lyric. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whatever. Um, let's see. It's the '90s, people. Uh, Basketball Jones, of course, is uh, it's a classic song by Barry White, and uh, this particular right. version has Chris Rock in it. That's right. That that was a goofy freaking scene in the movie. Well, the the seal cover of Fly Like an Eagle, I guess we can't get away without mentioning that. That was another like uh, top hit in uh, in 1997 uh, when it was released oh, on yeah. the radio well after the movie was out of theaters, but was also on his soundtrack. So yeah, that's 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 an awful lot of talk of the behind the scenes. Well, and uh, I don't know where movie. to put this, but. I really want to talk about something weird. You know, I thought of my own thing, so maybe this is a time to talk about the the miscellanea that popped up uh, around this movie. All right, yeah. So this uh, this is a little different than what we usually do, but we don't know where to put this, so we'll we'll talk about it right, here. Right, right. It's just worth mentioning that all, this movie spawned so much more than just box office revenues. It was a People were trying to peripherally get their merchandise somehow uh, associated with this this movie. Uh, so, so I think what Mike's about to talk about uh, will demonstrate that very clearly. Well, I wouldn't call it merchandising because it's not an official thing. It's just just part just part of the legacy of the movie. Yeah. So there's a game. Its um, short title is called Barkley Shut Up and Jam Gaiden, and. Um, this is a role-playing game in the JRPG style that is a unofficial sequel to the uh, Super Nintendo game uh, and Sega Genesis game, Barkley Shut Up and Jam, which is a sort of street basketball fighting game. It's not like Shaq Fu. It's more basketball-oriented, but it's strange. And then, it's, it's, uh, of it's course, a, a sequel to this art. and Space Jam. So the huh. the full title of this game is called Tales of Games Presents Chef Boyardee's Barkley Shut Up and Jam Gaiden Chapter 1 of the Hoops <laughs> Barkley Saga. What? Yeah. Oh man. So sorry, that's too good. So in this game you control um <laughs> XNBA this came out in 2008. Um, you you can control uh, ex-NBA player Charles Barkley and a handful of secondary characters. It basically is like a JRPG in that, you know, everybody lines up and you fight in different basketball-themed attacks. The plot of the game starts off in 2041, 12 years prior to uh, the event where uh, Charles Barkley performs a powerful dunk called the Chaos Dunk at a basketball game, inadvertently killing most of the people in attendance. As a result, basketball was outlawed, and many basketball players were hunted down and killed. And, uh, yeah, so it, it en- ends up um, that uh, another Chaos Dunk is performed in 2053, and Barkley gets blamed for it, and instead he's being hunted by the B-ball removal department led by Michael Jordan. Barkley is rescued by another outlaw referred to as Ultimate Hellbane. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Long story short is that um, you end up meeting up with the Monstars and some other um, 
uh, Space Jam uh, things in the game, and it, it's sort of a a funny, weird uh, JRPG that's just out there because the internet is a thing, and they do stuff right. there, and they People like Space Jam, and they like Barkley Shut Up and Jam, so... Wow. Well, that's worth a look, I'd have to say. <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, you know what else is worth a look? Uh, my wife told me this as we were putting Space Jam in last night, that Space Jam, the original website from 1996, is still out there on the internet and has been untouched for 19 years. Uh, so I went and looked at it. And sure enough, it's very 1996 uh, in that website. So I would suggest that you all take a look at it. It's one of the few remaining, you know, truly old uh, websites out there. So uh, uh, maybe we could put the URL in the show notes, but I'm sure if you just plug, uh, you know, Space Jam original website into Google, you'll find it the first hit. Oh, we will so. be putting the URL in the show notes, but yes. <laughs> Absolutely. It's it's. It looks like it's been deep archived by Warner Brothers, but it is still out there. So that is awesome, isn't it? That is a nostalgia come to life right there. It's very cool. All right, Pete. So why don't we talk about our personal history with the movie first? All right, that sounds good. My personal history is a little, little lackluster. Uh, this movie, when it came out in 1996, really wasn't on my radar. I have to say, uh, Michael Jordan, while not a has-been, had, you know, his, his, uh, greatness on the court had somewhat died down by this time. And so had my desire to watch kiddie cartoons like Looney Tunes as they were, uh, as they were known at the time for little kids, even though they had some surprisingly adult themes, which totally went over my head as a kid. So I never went out of my way to see this movie. I probably saw most of it by just walking past like TV displays at Target because this thing was playing everywhere. This was considered a marvel of, of visual you know, effects at the time. So <laughs> any place with a big TV was playing it, basically. So just walking past store models and probably also by channel surfing on cable TV during the day because that used to be a way that people watched movies, <laughs> just watching them on TV. So I, I knew the plot going into the movie just because it's a pretty basic sports movie you know humans and cartoons living together and the winner deciding the fate of the planet pretty usual stuff so what about you mike what is your experience with space jam i was a big michael jordan and uh i would say at the time a basketball fan as a, as a kid um it was Hell the yeah. one sp- Sport I dared to try at, probably because I was a lot taller than a lot of the kids in my class at the time. Um, I really wasn't, you know, I was mostly not into sports, but it was the one I tried at. And uh, I don't know, I liked watching uh, Bulls games, and I think I got into it just like everybody else because uh, watching Michael Jordan play was such a spectacle. So when he retired and then, um, you know, this movie was sort of like right when he was coming back this came out which is uh, part of the point of the movie not to spoil too much and so i i was i was excited about it and i also really liked watching looney tunes you know at the time i think i might have been one of those strange kids who realized like uh that they were talking about like world war ii and there was a lot of social commentary in looney tunes cartoons and stuff um when they came out i mean you know, the the gremlins uh, that are tearing apart the airplane and, you know, impressions of Churchill and stuff like that is quite a bit of stuff to fly over a kid's head uh, unless you kind of understand the reference. And I think I, uh, for whatever reason, like to explore that stuff uh, even back then. So kind of a geek of media culture there too so well good for you all I really got out of it was yeah 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 that's all folks. <laughs> So yeah, uh, we watched it on VHS, and uh, that's what I remember, but I don't remember watching it a ton. I think it was a a blockbuster video, hey, remember those guys? Um, (laughs) Rental. And uh, yeah, I think I watched it a few times when we had it to rent, and uh, we never purchased it or anything. And then I got to admit, I didn't remember Jack about this movie when, when it came down to watching it again. And when we got the suggestion, I'm like, 
oh yeah, I think I like that movie. Yeah, I think I like that movie. Uh, let's talk about The Baggage. Uh, I'll just go first since I sort of started that. Yeah, The Baggage I brought in is, yeah, I think I kind of like that movie. I really didn't have any preconceived notions of it other than I remember it being colorful. So what about you, Pete? Well, you know, I didn't even have that for me. I didn't have I really no nostalgia for this movie, quite frankly, other than the couple of little snippets I'd seen. However, I figured, you know, I do have independent nostalgia for both Michael Jordan and the Looney Tunes. So I thought that this would probably help to carry the movie through for me. Uh, but that being said, I didn't necessarily have high expectations just because, you know, if, if movies starring sports stars or any other indication like <clears throat> Shazam, perhaps. <laughs> but uh, or was that Kazam? I don't even remember. Who cares? Well, that, that but, that's uh, one that probably won't be reviewed to by us because it's not even a question. No, I, I doubt it. Yeah, <laughs> I I doubt it. Plus, you know, this was just, it's, it's a kiddie movie from almost 20 years ago. So, you know, and, and not having seen it at the time necessarily, I've kind of learned that watching children's movies for the first time much, much, much later really doesn't, you know, inspire a lot of magic <laughs> I got for you. you the same way it does. So that's my that's my baggage that I came in with. Okay, well, uh, now that we got baggage done, what about your recent viewing experience? Yeah, uh, typical. Watch this during uh, Sun's Nap with my wife. Uh, she had some experience with the movie, so I was watching for her reactions during the viewing. There weren't very many. but uh, <laughs> So I rented this movie from the local video uh, rental store, which I do fairly frequently, and I kind of like this podcast has made me go there more often because you usually have an interaction with whoever is checking you out at the counter, <laughs> uh, usually a much younger person. So I grabbed Space Jam, and the girl, maybe 20 years old, is like she exclaimed that it was just like one of her favorite movies of all time. So I'm like, oh, here, we, we have some feedback right away. This Space Jam is like her favorite movie of all time. Obviously, it came out when she was like one or two years old. So <laughs> I've seen it until later. Um, but yeah, she reacted with shock when I said I didn't think I'd seen the whole thing before. So that was <laughs> that was my funny first little, uh, little tip off about the movie. What about you, Mike? So I got this off of Amazon Prime this time. And... Um... You know, they have the movie caching thing, so uh, I cached it onto my device. It was interesting because I ended up uh, having to go uh, get new tires for my car because it's Wisconsin and uh, it's going to be winter and I need snow tires. So I mm -hmm. start watching the movie inside of uh, the lobby of the tire shop while I'm waiting for them to do this, and these two children come up and see uh, that I'm watching uh, it kind of goes back and forth at least for a while uh, between the the cartoon world and the real world and I'm not going to spoil anything yet that's not our section but um, they see the cartoon part and they're like oh what are you watching and I tell them it's a movie called Space Jam and they say oh can we watch too and I'm like yeah sure so you know I jack up the volume on the on the device and uh, they they start watching with me and then it goes into uh, back to the sports uh, montage uh, with Michael Jordan, and they're like, um, this is boring. I thought this was a cartoon. So that was the <laughs> first feedback that I got. I ended up watching uh, about a third of the movie uh, there, and then the rest of it I watched when I got home. Aw, that's a cute story. It was an ideal viewing experience, but yes, that story was, was, was kind of fun. Sure, it's these little, you know, experiences that are priceless. Now that we've got all of our baggage and viewing experience and history out of the way, let's get right to the spoilers. So now we are going to spoil the heck out of the movie. And if you've listened to the show before, you know that we're not going to leave anything behind. So if you haven't watched it That's yet, right. go watch it. We, you've watched it, and we usually kick this part of the show off with an elevator pitch. So, uh, so who's going to do that, Mike? I'm deciding that I think you're going to do it this time because I did two for the Back to the Future series. Yeah, I was hoping you wouldn't remember that, but... It was a long shot. All right, all right. I think I can pitch this movie, maybe. Let me just see if I can keep all the zany action straight. So um, this movie, Space Jam, chronicles the uh, the first retirement of Michael Jordan from NBA basketball. Basically, he's, uh, 
He's done with it. He's he's the best of the best. He's quitting while he's on top, and he wants to play baseball. So he plays baseball, pro baseball, I think. Um, but meanwhile, in space, cartoon space, what's more, there is a planet that is actually a theme park, and children uh, from an alien race are becoming bored with the theme park. And so cartoon alien Danny DeVito exclaims that they need some better attractions and they happen to zero in on the Looney Tunes uh, so he sends a bunch of aliens back to Earth to capture essentially the Looney Tunes um, who inexplicably live underground behind some sort of a membranous uh, that's all folks logo <laughs> uh, anyway they, the Looney Tunes uh, cleverly challenge the aliens to a basketball match to determine their fate, and the aliens agree despite not knowing what in the world basketball even is, but they find out that they need to steal the powers, the mojo, if you will, of all the Major League Basketball players, uh, and so they do that, and they become these giant uh, hulking basketball monsters, uh, as the movie labels them and the looney tunes realize that they suck at basketball and they are going to have to recruit michael jordan who uh they capture essentially they kidnap him and force him to play basketball <laughs> for them by calling him chicken basically he's got marty mcfly syndrome <laughs> i forgot about uh, that so, yeah so so michael jordan and the looney tunes versus a bunch of cartoon aliens in front of uh, cartoon audience uh, determining the fate of their own freedom, which Michael Jordan throws his, himself uh, into the, the stakes. His freedom is at stake now, too. And they win through the power of cartoon cheating and also Bill Murray's in it. Yeah. And, uh, and that's an important plot point, I guess. And Michael Jordan returns to human society victorious and once again is called a chicken by all of his basketball colleagues who get their powers back, and so he rejoins the NBA to prove that he's not chicken. The end. Yes, so the moral of the story is uh, Michael Jordan needs to go back to the future and get over it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and also, he's not done making money yet, so, you know, I, <laughs> I don't know. You can tell this is a kid's movie, not just because it's animated mostly, but... Um, they do try to sneak a lot of morals in it immediately, uh, important messages for kids, uh, starting at the very beginning of the film when Michael Jordan's a kid is 1973 and his dad is picking him up, you know, uh, his ego up saying, you know, you can, if you do your best, you can do anything you want, that kind of thing. I mean, it's your, your standard kid's message, uh, Jordan advising the tunes during the big basketball game to just have fun. Just let's get out there and have some fun, guys, right? You know, even though their freedom is at stake, he's like, just have fun. You know, that's what games are about. It's not about winning or losing. Right. <laughs> it's not about avoiding, you know, a lifetime of imprisonment and, and servitude. It's about just having fun. It sort of feels like Michael Jordan's apology for his baseball career. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and, and we get a pretty good look into that, you know, baseball career, I guess, uh, in this movie. Not really. It's a fictionalized version of his baseball career. But uh, you can tell he's not really satisfied with the experience of playing baseball because, you know, everybody's just treating him like this ultra mega star and like the hit the opposing team. Is They're like, kissing his ass. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The, the opposing team is like telling him what pitch is coming up so that he can swing the right way and that kind of thing. And, you know, when he strikes out, everybody's like, you strike out with some real dignity there, Mr. Jordan. You know, it's just ridiculous. His kids are giving him advice on baseball, and it's sort of commenting on the fact that, well, ESPN and stuff was, you know, keeping track of minor league baseball just because Michael Jordan was there talking right. about how much he sucked. That's it. That's that's just it. Sort of uh, saying, yeah, the media is not cool. That's not nice, you know, and stuff like that. Right. But, you know, they're like the only people who won't kiss his ass. You know, they're like, and for some reason we're reporting on Michael Jordan playing baseball at a very poor level. And you mentioned the kids. Uh, so Michael Jordan's family's in this movie. Do they serve any purpose at all? I don't think they serve any purpose other than, um, I don't know, I think at the time it was like, 
Hey, if you're having a semi-live-action kids movie, you need to have a child in it to relate to. Well, that's just it. I don't think that there's any anything to it other than that. I mean, it's like any screen time, screen time involving them is entirely wasted. They're not integral to the plot. Um, the subplot, the, the, the subplot that failed to launch about his son having a bad baseball game kind of went nowhere. I, like you said, it's just to serve to connect children in the audience to the but it's connecting them to the characters that everybody cares the very very least about i mean they're they hardly even have a showing in this film they're just there yeah the only semi-useful thing they do is to help uh bugs and daffy steal their father's sports memorabilia but that's a little later so what do you think about the uh the looney tunes i mean in general in this movie <sighs> well uh right away they're 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 cartoon, they're animated, they're zany, they act loony, I guess. Uh, and you can tell that there's a lot of comedy that's supposed to be happening, but it just, it was very difficult for me to laugh at any of it. It feels to me like most of the looniest Looney Tune stuff probably is happening off screen, and we don't get to see it. We get to see a couple jokes and quips and stuff, but otherwise it seems like a a standard sports movie until they actually get to the basketball game. Things definitely pick up at that point. There's a lot of Looney Tunes just being scared most of the time. Right, yeah, like the the first part of the movie is just, you know, a general confusion and like, you know, uh, like here's some funny action. Porky Pig calls them all to an emergency town hall meeting. It's like, what? (laughs) Like, yeah, it it didn't... Yeah, Porky Pig broke the fourth wall. Right, it didn't hurt, it didn't, uh, it didn't uh, strike my funny bone. Even slightly, but that's just because they were like trying to figure out, uh, you know, how they were going to get out of this this horrible mess that they were in. I do agree that that the uh, the comedy and the action starts to uh, pick up afterwards because once you you know, kind of seems like you can't really do a bunch of quips and jokes and crap like that when you're trying to get an exposition laid out. So once that's handled and they're doing like training montages and basketball games and that kind of thing it definitely gets to be a lot more uh, comedy dense i think well i felt like most of the comedy was actually concentrated on the sports star side it was uh, concentrated on the basketball players who lost their talent the whole basketball jones montage that starts with charles barkley um you know going to play basketball with those kids in the park and just getting his butt handed to him and they're like you're not charles barkley you know Yeah, I thought that was funny. They start in with the Barry White music and Charles Barkley's just looking longingly at a bunch of, you know, like teenage girls playing basketball. I was like, what's happening here? But the montage does go on, you know. Yeah, and then there's the, like, all of them going to the different doctors to try to figure out what's going on. And I think that's sort of the best comedy, like putting themselves in situations like, oh, it's psychological. Oh, it's like this and that. And they're doing everything they can to try to solve the problem which is probably more loony than the looney tunes at that time in the movie i think so for those of you who like dick jokes there was an erectile dysfunction joke oh yes 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 the (laughs) dr freud asks patrick ewing are you having trouble performing in any besides on the basketball court or whatever the hell he said it was like that yeah i agree the the comedy was more rapid fire i think was was actually more poignant with the live action stars than it was with the traditionally comedy oriented uh, cartoon characters not to mention uh, you know at this time wayne knight's already there pratt falling it up and uh, bill murray's in the movie already you know just being bill murray basically he's bill murraying <laughs> he's bill murraying he's Sorry. he's bill murraying hard let me tell you He's just doing his thing. Oh, yeah. Probably, I'm sure they didn't it, write any lines for him. They just were like, Bill Murray and action. And he didn't even ask for a script. Improv like, this shit. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I agree Like, with I that. get to play golf and hang out with MJ and Larry Bird. Larry Bird, sure. Who's just kind of like a, a downer. Well, Larry Bird's sort of like his buddy cop kind of thing in that movie. Is like him and Bill Murray just hanging out. Did you guys, did you notice that... Um, uh, Michael Jackson's dog was named Charles, which was another reference to Charles Barkley. I, I did notice that. Also, you said Michael Jackson. Michael. Did Jordan. I say Michael Jackson? Yeah, I said Michael Jackson. Oh, <laughs> yes, I noticed that right away. I was like, ah, Michael Jordan has a dog named 
Charles. And also Barkley yeah. is, is a sound that a dog makes. So many layers of comedy there. Well, and then the gym that the Looney Tunes practice at was the Leon um, Schlesinger, which is the producer of all of the original Looney Tunes shorts. Oh, no kidding. Huh, that must be uh, mm-hmm. somewhere on the grounds of Acme Luniversity or whatever. Yeah, basically a, a tip of the hat towards uh, Looney Tunes history. Absolutely. No, no. And, and that's great. You know, Looney Tunes has a very, very rich history, I, I think. I kind of feel like where the scenes with the Looney Tunes fell a little short of the mark, though, was, again, the fact that they, they were, you know, not as funny as the live action characters at this point in the movie, but also that it kind of felt like they were trying to use like some like hipper lingo or something like that. Uh, I can't even think oh, of yeah. any examples right now, but they were just kind of trying to like modernize their dialogue a little bit, and it was kind of like, mm, this isn't really working. I guess the only thing I can really think of at the moment is that one weird, like, kind of out of its stoner alien that's the antagonist that just was kind of annoying, but that was popular at this time. Well, I, I thought the aliens were actually um, interesting. Uh, not so much when they were the monsters. I liked them when they were the cute little not-threatening things. Yeah, right. yeah, right, the little grubs. They were kind of cute, and they had a cute voice, and I think that was sort of the point, is that like, everybody... Every kid would want to go out and buy a monster or uh, whatever they were called when they were not the monsters toy. Right, the, the moron mountain snuggle buddy. aliens, whatever they were. How did the how did the Looney Tunes have a blueprint to study on those aliens? They like instantly had like, okay, here's our attack plan against the aliens. But the aliens never even told them who they were. How did they know what they were called? Come on. I demand a little realism in my uh, cartoons. I was going to say, because cartoons? Um, well, another problem that I had with the, with the Looney Tunes is like, okay, so they, they're, they're finally forming this Toon Squad, which, you know, Looney Tunes, Toon Squad, right. They had the open tryouts. Mm-hmm. Why was the new character of Lolo Bunny introduced, and why was she sexualized? I knew you were going to bring this up, Mike. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What the hell? Um, yeah, we're introduced to Lola Bunny, who apparently nobody has ever seen before in this, you know, has to be a somewhat limited population uh, cartoon land, Looney Tune land. But uh, you notice right away, she gets a lot of what the, you know, 90s girl power characters kind of get wrong. You know, she's like, you know, got an attitude and all that. But she, uh yeah, very sexualized. You know, none of the male characters uh, can stop drooling over her because, like, you know, like... Right. Okay, so, like, Smurfette, she's basically the only female that any of these tunes have ever seen, essentially. Besides that old lady who takes care of Tweety Bird and, you know, that, that one cat that keeps running afoul of Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> I mean, can you yes, think of any others? Cat. Can you think of any others? Like, the only uh, other no. female influences in Looney Tunes is when Bugs Bunny dresses up like a girl to attract Elmer Fudd. Well, and Lola Bunny, I mean, it's one of those things. It just gets me. She's great at basketball and stuff like that, but then she's still, like, I don't know, the only thing that the other characters really care about is that she's pretty. Right. You know? And, you know, of course, Bugs tries his luck, you know, almost immediately because he figures he's in, like, Flynn, but, you know, she rebukes him. But boy, does she warm up to him quickly after that point. It's just like each and every little two-word interaction they have after that just like makes her heart melt for him that much more. And it, it, Because we know exactly why she's there. I mean, she's a, she's a girl bunny. She's there for Bugs Bunny, basically. Right, it doesn't, but yeah, it, it completely feels like it's not earned, you know what I mean? And that's, that's oh, the problem oh. with the character. Well, it could be probably you know, also like, that they're trying to squeeze too much into this movie, and so they couldn't just have there be like a whole second act with Bugs courting Lola Bunny. I can't believe we're having this conversation. Uh, it would be, yeah, I, I think it would have been great if, if basically like, uh, yeah, not interested. You know, basically the entire thing, which is something they sort of played with in, you know, the the Steven Spielberg Tiny Toons, um, uh, Tiny Toon Adventures cartoon. And I know this isn't, we're not talking about that, but... Um, you know, there was a girl and a boy bunny that were like students of, of Bugs Bunny uh, there, and it was completely the opposite. It was like, nah, you know what? Not interested. Just because you stick a boy and a girl bunny together. Well, actually, in nature, if you stick a boy and a girl bunny together, it is like that. But it doesn't have to be in a cartoon <laughs> because really they're, they're stand-ins for people, basically. Right. 
I, I guess I, my, my problem with that characterization is just, uh, uh, again, that she was an s- extremely capable character on her own. Not exactly the most progressive uh, development of a female character in a movie, for sure. No, it was. it's definitely like one step forward, no... St- well, one step forward, that's it. <laughs> and the, rest, in the, yeah. and the line is still way further <laughs> away. Only steps back after that. I really found like I was having the most trouble laughing at the cartoon characters the ones that you're specifically supposed to be laughing at essentially that that was the point of this movie in a way i don't know if it what what the the transition was between michael jordan coming to looney tunes land what was it but he just seemed like he was so out of his element in that moment of the film did you see that when all this zany stuff is happening to him and he's just kind of like you know rolling his head around in an extremely not well-acted manner. I don't know. It, it, it was kind of weird. It felt strange. And we know he's a more capable actor than that. Yeah, the rest of the, the, the human sections, it was it was more. But maybe part of it that this was, uh, this was sort of the uh, first blue screen kind of thing. One of, you know, up there of the, among the first real um, blue screen movies where he's basically acting by himself. And I don't think... You know, we, we weren't at the point of, of, of time where uh, we had somebody doing motion capture and things like that, um, you know, to be there and act with him. I don't really know uh, about the process. Right. Well, I'm assuming that somebody just shouts lines wasn't. at him. Right. I think they spent a lot of money and were did some fairly revolutionary visual stuff. And I think the reviews, the contemporary reviews of this movie all point to the fact that everybody thought this was a, a, a special effects masterpiece. But, yeah, you can tell Jordan's not looking in the right places and that kind of thing. I think it might be as much of a problem as, like, he doesn't have reference points or direction. And he's not a professional actor by trade. So, you know, he's not going to be the guy who could go out and do a, a one-man play on on Broadway in a theater, you know? He, he, did, he did all right as an actor in this movie, certainly. But, yeah, things that would have thrown even a seasoned actor for a loop he, he wasn't doing so well with, I think. Well, one thing I did enjoy is that during the Space Jam game itself, some of the Looney Tunes deep cuts, you know, some characters that don't get as much love, like they had the little mouse that just talks too much. Uh, he's right. cute. I don't even know what the character's name is. I'm like, yeah, he I have showed seen up that in character. one episode in 1940 or whatever, right? Right. Um, I liked the the whole Reservoir Dogs reference with uh, right. Elmer Fudd and. Uh, Yosemite Sam, you know? Right, yeah, they were tossing pop culture in there, you know, left and right. That was the fun part about the second part of the basketball game. You know, I felt like the first part was just like a pretty standard basketball game movie, like, except for like everybody except Michael Jordan was animated. But in the second half, the second half is pretty freaking weird because now it's all cartoon violence, you know? They're not just playing basketball anymore. They're getting out guns and fish hooks and bombs and stuff like that uh, michael jordan even discovers that he can cheat when uh when wayne knight gets flattened it, it kind of looks like majin boo a little bit from dbz i noticed but he's like hey how come he's not dead and they're like Psh, this is the cartoon universe and he ends up even winning the game just by stretching his arm across half the court or whatever which i have to say he did forget that he was turned into a basketball physically by the monsters earlier in the movie so Oh, he should that know. That's a terrible effect. <laughs> but I just want to say that's as bad as the effect. Wayne Knight effect. No, no. It was all I mean, the effects were pretty bad in this movie, I have to say. In- including nah, including the practical effects. I mean, they did use some practical effects to avoid showing cartoons and people on the same screen as as much as possible. There was the trench coat, the the going through the lawn like it was a molehill or whatever. That kind of thing. So, I don't know. They did the best they could with what they had, and it probably was groundbreaking at the time. Um, But back during that basketball game, I like it how the team motivates itself in the locker room by, I think it was Bugs Bunny tricking them into thinking they were doping, basically. They were all uh, uh, taking some of uh, Jordan's special stuff or whatever the heck it was. Daffy Duck humorously says, this goes against everything I learned in health class. Well, I I think my favorite thing about the basketball game, though, comes at the very end when it's Bill Murray that ends up saving the day, basically. Right. 
I know, like, oh, geez. Well, they were going to be disqualified if they didn't have anybody, anybody at all yep. on their team. Like so. Bill Murray, like, how does he even know? I mean, like, does, did Michael go and say, hey, Bill Murray, I'm going to go play a game? No, he just shows up because that's what Bill Murray does. Well, they explained it as, uh, th- you know, this, this is actually one of the funny lines of the movie. Anything involving Bill Murray was pretty funny. But Bill Murray comes out onto the court. The head monster, Danny DeVito, says, hey, nobody told me Dan Aykroyd was in this film. And that's just the right. beginning of the fourth wall being broken. Uh, I mean, it, at that point, I mean, Bill Murray explains the only reason he's there because Michael Jordan's like, what the hell are you doing here? He's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm friends with the film's producer, who's, you know, Ivan Reitman. He did, uh, you know, oh, a, number right. movie, a number of movies that Bill Murray was Ghostbusters. in, Stripes, Ghostbusters, yeah. etc. So, I mean, they're at this point, they're aware that it's a movie. Uh, and, and they're telling us that, that, uh, that very thing. But yeah, Bill Murray came in and uh, he was very funny, I thought, in this movie. Um and oh, yeah. that's something that people told me about this movie ahead of time because I was like, I'm going to be watching Space Jam. I don't really know much about it. And they're like, Bill Murray is the best in that movie. And that kind of a statement always worries me because that's what I heard about his extended cameo in Zombieland. Everybody always says that's the best part of the movie, but I don't know. I found that scene to be kind of lackluster in relation to the rest of the film. So. Here he's actually funny. Yeah, th- this it is very funny, and it's sort of like what the internet considers Bill Murray to be—the legend of Bill Murray. Like, yeah, Bill Murray showed up at my wedding. You know, that's what right. this feels like. Absolutely, no, it's uh, yeah, they they played that very well. I mean, say what you will about the rest of the comedy in the movie, Bill Murray, I think hits it hits it on the head, just being weird. Right. If only he was in the movie more. Wayne Wayne Knight also had a pretty good line towards the beginning of the film. I th- I laughed. This is the first, maybe the first time I laughed in the film when Wayne Knight shows up at Michael Jordan's house and he says, "Get your Hanes, lace up your Nikes, grab your Wheaties and your Gatorade. We'll grab a Big Mac on the way to the ballpark." This, this right, like everything, everything that he endorsed, he, he just names <laughs> off. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was that was pretty funny. I I guffawed at that one. No, Wayne Knight was a, was was good as Newman in in this theater. I mean, theater in this movie. <laughs> I was always waiting for him to turn bad guy, though. I mean, it seems like he always he's always a bad guy. You know, he's he turns out to be a bad guy in Jurassic Park. He's well, he's just a he was a bad guy in the beginning. His face and yeah, he was a bad guy at the beginning, but nobody knew that he just turned out to be a bad guy. Yeah, I don't know. I was just kind of like, when does he betray them? Right. When does he betray them? Mm-hmm. Never happened. And then, of course, the ending of it is it really turns out, uh, obviously, they win because of Michael Jordan discovering that he can cheat. And and then uh, Michael Jordan unretires, you know, and then you see another montage of Michael Jordan's unretirement, and then he goes on to win more championships. But not before that way too long scene with the other basketball players, like, should I touch the glowing basketball? Should I not touch the glowing basketball? The resolution of the movie could have been about five minutes shorter. You know, we've talked about how funny the parts with the NBA stars was, but I think a lot of the humor in those scenes revolved around a, a fair amount of cheese and oh yeah, not necessarily being comfortable or savvy in front of the camera uh, in an acting capacity. So, I don't know. All right, so... I think I've said all I need to say about this movie. What about you? I've said all I care to say about the movie. Uh, if we if we wanted to if we wanted to end it by talking about what other people said about this movie at the time. Ah, uh, sure, that's something new. It is new. It's just that this movie had such great uh, critical response when it came out. Um, critics were giving this movie great reviews i know uh ebert and siskel and ebert gave it two thumbs up uh and praised it highly i don't know it 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 just it seemed like it was um all set for the sequel that never came i would have assumed that they would have definitely tried to cash in on this one in a fast following manner but but that uh didn't happen it sounds like there's a sequel in the works now with lebron james but uh Nothing, you know, you would have expected an, another movie to pop up in 1998 or something. It, it is it is interesting. I mean, other than 
I know they ran a bunch of MCI commercials with Jordan in it uh, with the Looney Tunes and reference Space Jam events, but that was just kind of like, oh, yeah, haha, money. And, you know, sometimes somebody becomes a, you know, you know, he gets his hundred million, you know, and he's like, do I really need to do another movie? No, probably not. I don't think nope, Michael Jordan not. really ever acted in a movie again, did he? Did I remember? No. I could be wrong, but he does Haynes commercials and he owns part of the Washington Wizards. That's right. Yep. He hawks men's underwear on the side. All right. right well, on. with that, let's get to our decision. And now for the moment you've all been waiting for. Pete and I are going to decide if this movie is sacred. Bovina Sanctorum. Or if it should be put out to pasture. Bovinus excommunicado. Uh, I'll go first. All right, I'm glad you said that. I am leaning towards this movie being not sacred. I (gasps) think that while there are portions of the movie, the Bill Murray sections, um, the Basketball Jones section that were memorable, I don't think overall it made up for my time watching this movie, nor did I think that the Looney Tunes, which are such a thing that I was hoping was super funny aren't funny that it it really disappointed me more than i i remembered yeah that's why i'm saying uh not sacred that simple all right about you simple elegant i like it yeah the time spent watching this movie i don't know if my this came through in my segments of this uh podcast but i was actually kind of pissed off that i was gonna have to sit through this movie maybe about a third of the way through the movie because i just wasn't laughing you know it was just kind of like an uncomfortable silence as jokes fell flat that kind of thing i really didn't find the looney tunes uh parts of the movie funny apart from a few delivered lines the stars definitely were uh bill murray i think and to some extent the supporting uh newman wayne knight so i don't know if this really stands up i'm going to have to call it a pretty solid not sacred see i thought my nostalgia for michael jordan and the looney tunes might be enough to make the movie magical for me but i think it turns out that those things are best left in the past along with this movie but i probably wouldn't watch it again right and i probably would turn the channel if i saw it on tv i definitely would but you know we say that now, maybe in five, ten years, uh, we'll see it again. Who knows? <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, final is it is put out to pasture. A double bovinus excommunicado. Okay, and with that, let's get to our final thoughts. Okay, so we're done with the with the review of Space Jam. And uh, we've got some other news to tell you. Great. What sort of news? Uh, Well, just a reminder that um, unlike the normal schedule, we won't be doing a feedback episode uh, for the next episode coming December 16th. Um, We will be doing the review of Gremlins featuring special guests at the Adam Bash. Uh, The next feedback episode is actually December 30th, in which we want to know about your holiday movies and or traditions. Uh, on things that you'd like to tell us about stories, things you're thankful for, etc. So we want that feedback for December 30th, and we'll read those out. It might be a little longer. We'll see. Depends on how much you guys share with us. And then on January 13th, we're having the Star Wars Force Awakens Roundtable. Uh, Pete, do you want to tell about that? Right. That's where we and some of our wonderful guests, uh, whose names were revealed during the feedback episode last time, uh, are going to watch Star Wars The Force Awakens, which we're all eagerly awaiting. And then we will have a roundtable discussion of its merits, uh, what things maybe weren't so great, what things we suspect maybe George Lucas secretly had something to do with. (gasps) <gasps> and that kind of thing. Yeah. Without and it, it's going to be great. We know it's going to be great. And we're doing it two weeks after, so that way it gets the whole, um, oh, my God, oh, my God, fanboyness out of it, uh, and we can actually right. sort of think about it. That's and right. uh, yeah, the so guests. If, if people who want to have seen it at that point will have seen it, I think. Right. So um, we will spoil the hell of it. And we'll have guests yes, we Josh will. Gentry, Nika Howard, Matthew Morris, 
and Kim and Ben Stonic. And they all bring a different uh, level of Star Wars experience to the table, including one of them, which won't be revealed until the show, has never seen a Star Wars movie before. I already gasped at this before, but I'll do it again. <gasps> I can't even imagine what that's like. What's that like, man? So that is coming January 13th. Yeah. Other than that, I think uh, I'm ready to close the show. What about you, Pete? Let's wrap it up. Put this one in the can. All right. Well, you can find us and talk to us on Twitter. We're at Sacred Cows Pod. That's at Sacred Cows Pod. Contact us with your more long-form uh, questions uh, or discussions, comments, criticisms, eh, whatever you want. Hold at the criticism. Sacred Cows at HeroOfTheWeb.com. That's the email address, sacredcows at HeroOfTheWeb.com. And finally, we want your iTunes reviews. We need those five-star iTunes reviews so you can help uh, us get found by other potential herd members and Sacred Cows fans. So please be sure to get those in and, uh, you know, feel free to bash us if you want to. But uh, those five-star reviews help us rise in the iTunes rankings and get found. And finally, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at White Morph and... Pete? You know, what's good? What's wrong with good old-fashioned ESP? That's what I want to know. Okay, so um, how do they find you psychically? Oh, you know, just think in my general direction. It's kind of a... Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to explain. Just do it. Maybe I'll get it. Well, that's it for our Space Jam review. We'll see you next time. See you for Gremlins next time, everybody. Woohoo! Go watch it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now.